0: Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What is God's problem with rich people? Wow, has anybody ever talked to you like that? Weep and wail. You rich people, and let's let's be clear on this. We're all rich people in this room, okay? We are all rich people in this room. 8% of the world has cars. Let that sink in for a second. About 15% of the world has running water. Clean running water. The average income in the United States is $36,000 a year. Most of us, if not all of us, live in homes that could probably house 10 to 20 more people. I remember growing up, I, not growing up, but when the boys were, were growing up, we passed by some houses down by um, Lost Mountain Middle School. There's some new houses going in, and we're driving past there. And I forget which one of the kids asked me. They said, how many people live there? <laughs> and I said, probably three or four. Let, let's, just, let's just clear the board. and get, Let's just get on here. Rich people, we're all rich in this room. Okay. <clears throat> Does God like rich people? Because he's telling James, come now, you rich people, weep. Wailing over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined, your clothes are moth eaten, your silver and gold are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That doesn't sound like he likes rich people. So, does he? Who are these rich people? Give me some rich people in the Bible. Come on, that was not a hard question. (laughs) Job. Job, okay, originally, Job was wealthy. Abraham. Abraham. Who? Solomon. Solomon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. don't even start David. with that. Yeah. All right, who? David. David. Wasn't Lydia wealthy? Yep. She's a purple. Yes, uh, <laughs> purple, Purple for yeah. What's your job? Purple fair. Well, who else? who else? Um, the, the, the obvious one to me was the rich young ruler. Yeah, that's the term rich. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an easy. One. Zacchaeus. All right. Can anybody spell Zacchaeus? <laughs> it's two C's H A E U S. All right. So. Nebuchadnezzar. Oh. he said too, He's with Nebuchadnezzar. God. Okay, we're going kings for this. Yeah, we're going on kings. We'll go to Neb on this guy. All right. Do we get a lot of rich people in the Bible? Yeah. All right. At what point does God go? I like that one. Name me a rich person that God just gushes over. David. David. Mm-hmm. Was it because he was wealthy? No. Now, I mean, we even get a story of who? The rich man. What was his name? And Lazarus? What was the rich man's name? We don't know. What's his name? Rich man. (laughs) Yeah. How, How does that story end for him? Can you be wealthy... And be godly. How easy is it? Why is it so hard to have money and be godly at the same time? It seems to me that would be the easiest thing because you see yourself as being blessed by God so therefore you would gladly give back to God. You would gladly see this as you know what, God has blessed me so much, I will bless him back with everything I can. You have more to give. You have more to give away. Why is it so hard for the wealthy? Why does James talk to them this way? Let's keep going this. Look at the next verse. Uh, Where am I? Uh, The middle of three. So he's made all these accusations. He's made all these declarations against him. And he says this, you stored up treasure in the last days. Now, when was the last days? James is writing this probably shortly after Christ has been resurrected. He's over the church. He's writing this to the Jews dispersed all over the known world. When are the last days that James is referring to here? You've stored up treasure in the last days, the eschatos. We're in the last days, right? Maybe, that's a good question. Good. Maybe, so James is saying that these rich people were storing up treasures in 2016. What did James think the last days were? Right, right then, right then. He says, you're storing up treasures now. You're, okay, he keeps going on, he expounds on this. You store up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers Who reaped your field cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Let me give you a good clue here. That's a very bad thing. All right? I want you to think through this. All right? So we've we've got some of our people up here. All right? What are they doing here? You're storing up treasures in the last days. All right? Is that a good thing to store up treasure? Invest in your 401k? Put a money aside for when you retire. Is that a good thing? Is that a wise thing? Yeah. All right. Y'all, y'all are freaking out me. Y'all are like, no, we got to sell everything. All right. No, no. You're not the rich young ruler. Okay? You don't have to sell everything. Okay? I'm just letting you off the hook here for a second. Okay? But he's saying then this. You stored up treasure in the last days and then look at directly what they were doing with the money. Look at what happens here. <clears throat> look. The pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out. Translate that in English. What are they doing here? They're robbing people. people. All right? Is God big on justice? Yeah. How how does God feel when you harm the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who can't defend themselves? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? All right? And what does the pay do? Look, the pay, he, he sort of, anthropomorphizes the pay right that was a big word I threw at you right there did y'all catch that he anthropomorphized them all right? he turned them into people they do something right what does the pay do the money that's sitting where where's the money sitting now you're storing up treasures now the treasure that's sitting in your bank in your safe in your pocket and all this stuff what is this money doing what does James say the money does cries out it's a greek word kraso guess which word we get from kraso crazy when someone's crazed they cry out okay um, let me give you some examples of people who cried out uh, Bartimaeus sitting beside the road cried out how did how, did, did Bartimaeus go um, pardon me Jesus can I have your attention what, I mean no what's, what's blind dude sitting on the side of the road doing crying out. Does anybody see that as polite? Does anybody see that as this calm, reserved, no. What? what <laughs> my favorite, the 12 when they're in the boat and Jesus starts walking to them on the water and they start to cry out, it is a ghost. How does that sound? What, what's, what's the feel of, oh, it's a ghost. <laughs> I think that's a ghost. Do you, is it me or is that just a ghost? No. Can you imagine these, little, these teenage 20-something-year-old men turning into junior high girls, crying out? All right, It's a ghost. I mean, they're crying. They're screaming. They're yelling. All right. Well, Peter gets out of the boat in the midst of all this. After he's cried like a little girl thinking it's a ghost, he finally gets out of the boat. And when he starts to sink, he cries out. Again, all these words are cries out. How did that go? Um, pardon me, Jesus? Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, do whatever you got to do. When Jesus walks in on the triumphal entry, the Pharisees say, tell your disciples to stop crying out. And Jesus says, fine. But if they're silent, those rocks are going to start cross Five days later, the crowds are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. 12 hours later, Jesus cries out, it is finished. Do you get a a feel of the tone of this crying out? So the injustice, the unjust dollars in the pocket of the rich man cry out. And where do they land? In the ears of the Lord of hosts. You might have a different translation. On the Lord of hosts. Where is it? Verse. Um. Into verse four. Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Uh. Um. Uh, okay. Let me explain that because that's a, a Hebrew translation. It's not literally the Sabbath as in the day of the week Sabbath. It's Sabbath. Is that? Sabaoth—it literally means the Lord of the Armies. Okay, the Lord of Hosts. When he, when we talk about angels, how many angels are there? And the whole heavenly host. You see this? This is the Lord of the armies of the angels. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing when the Lord, that's the commander in chief of the angels, hears the cries? against the poor and you're the one causing the problem. Is that something you want to have happen? No. 246 times this phrase Lord of hosts is used in the Old Testament. It's used once in the New Testament. It's right here. He says the pay the money that's in your pocket the blood dirty money that's in your pockets you withheld from the workers in your injustice alright I never get the whole illegal immigration thing, why we can't portray this as a justice issue. Why are we allowing tens of thousands of illegal aliens to come into our country so that these farmers and these whatever people can take them and make them work for who knows how long, for who knows how little pay. Why this isn't a justice issue is beyond me. Why would we allow people to come in and basically rob them? and treat them like, literally like slaves. The pay, it cries out, and that's where it lands. So what happens to the rich? What happens to the rich who are abusive to those employees? comes into the ears of the Lord of hosts, so they need to weep, wailing over the miseries that are coming upon them, because the Lord of hosts just heard the cries. This phrase, this idea of this crying out and is coming into the ears, is exactly what's used when Abel is killed. When Cain takes Abel and kills him, and God says, the cries of the bloods, it's plural, so there's this idea of the generations that would have come out of Abel, are crying out to me. And I hear their cries. What does God do when he when he hears the cries? When the cries come into the Commander-in-chief of the army of angels, he acts, and he will mess you up. When you read the Lord of hosts in the Bible, you need to read the Lord that will mess you up. That's how you should translate that. And it just reached the ears. Look at what else. Here we go. Uh, Verse 5. You have lived luxuriously on the land and indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Worst king ever? Any guess? Worst king ever in the in the nation of Israel? Ahab. Ahab. Price married a jacked up woman. It was all over. All right, Jezebel. She was the worst. All right, she made him worse. All right, Ahab was going out one day, ran into this guy named Naboth, had a field, had a vineyard next to one of his little palaces. Ahab said, I really want that. Goes and whines to his wife. Well, his wife is just pure evil. So what does she do? She sets up Naboth, condemns him, murders him, and takes away the field from him. This is exactly what it's talking about right here. How often do the wealthy use their wealth to destroy and accumulate more for themselves? They just pile up more, pile up more, and pile up more. This is what God sees. So when he says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion, literally the idea of rust, The rust will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. For you stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay you withheld from the workers who reaped your field cries out. and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Why doesn't it say instead you should? Why does it say but not you guys? But you're good people. Why is there no corrective here? If you look up just in four thirteen, we get the same beginning. Look at five one verses four thirteen. Come now, you who say, come now, you rich people. So James is talking to somebody. So in 4.13, it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll travel to the city. And it says, you don't even know what your life is. You don't know this. And then in, uh, what, 15, it says, instead you should. There's a corrective there. Instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and this and this and this. Where's the corrective with rich people? Does anybody see it? I'm reading it this week and I'm going, okay, where's the hook? Where's the hook, James? You're supposed to come around and go, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for now. Or weep and wail because you did this, but don't do this anymore and you'll be okay. You know what? They're not going to be okay. There's no corrective here. There's no amend your ways, change your ways, rend your heart, check your balance of your whatever credit card. No, there's nothing in there. You're just going to weep and wail for the miseries that are coming on. You fatten your heart for the day of slaughter. The pay, the dirty money sitting in your pocket has cried out to God and got hurt and you're going to pay. The end. Because that's how a lot of people are going to end. There is a Revelation 16 6.15 moment, we're all going to end up in. A Revelation 6.15 moment that is coming on this earth. Go here, take a look at it. It is a moment in time. It is a moment that is coming. It is a moment that none of us can stop and hopefully none of us want to stop. But it is a Revelation 6.15 moment that everyone on the planet that is alive will have a profound emotional reaction to. And profound may be too small of a word. Every single person on this planet in that moment, in this Revelation 6.15 moment, will either be in sheer agony and fear or will be in profound ecstasy and joy. And no one will escape this moment. I don't care if you don't believe in this moment. I don't care what you think about this moment. This moment is coming, and everyone will be affected by it. Let's read it. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, exact same word that James uses here, The rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The Revelation 6.15 moment is coming. every single person you know is going to be profoundly affected by that moment if they're still alive. No one escapes this moment. Now let's look at the flip side. Come over here to Matthew 24. This is the exact same moment described by Jesus um, probably two, three days before he's crucified. The disciples come up and ask him, what, what's the end of the age? What's the sign of the end of the age? And he describes this moment, same Revelation six fifteen moment, same details are involved in here. If you look at Revelation 6 and you study it more, you'll see that the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, all sort of dissipate, all go away at some point somehow. And then this moment lands. This is the way Jesus described it to his disciples. In verse 30, he says, then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky then all the people of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What's the emotion in that moment? When you see the Son of Man, when you see the sign of the Son of Man appear in the sky and all the people of the earth do what? Mourn. Does it say most of the people on the earth? Some of the people, the people with cable, the people with dish, the people with direct TV, not the kids with the, the rabbit ears and stuff. They don't get it. They don't see this. All right. No, who, who, who's going to do this? All the people. Every single person on this planet is headed for a Revelation 6.15 moment. And again, it will either be pure agony, horror, mourning, or it would be sheer joy. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Here's a question, which side do you want to be on? It's not a simple, not a a difficult choice here, especially us sitting here in church. We all all want to be with Jesus, right? All right? It's easy for us. But we need to recognize that people all around us are going to see this moment, are going to endure this moment, and it will be a sheer agony. They cry out to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from him. Hide us from him, the one we rejected, the one we said, no, they don't... he's not real, he didn't do any of that, he's just a good teacher, he's just, no, when he shows his face, what will the the rich do in that moment? Everyone is going to endure this moment. The only question is, are you going to be mourning? Are you going to be rejoicing? And there's no middle ground. It's not like, oh, okay, I guess we'll go to heaven now. Kind of like a teenager, dragging a teenager to church sometimes. All right, Jessica. No, this is, this is way over here on either side of the scale. And you're not going to go, oh, well, that'll stink. That stinks that he's back and I didn't believe in him. I guess we'll get through it. No, you won't. And James is lining this up. Because James doesn't say, and everything's going to be okay he just says the witness the rust will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire and you have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter you see the revelation 6:15 moment is not a moment of redemption is not a moment of correction it's just justice and the pay that you stole, the injustice has cried out to God and the Lord of hosts has heard. So what does James do with this? Come back over here to James 6. After outlining this whole thing about the rich, never providing any type of corrective, never anything, instead, you should never anything like that. Therefore, therefore, brothers, he says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail, therefore, you brothers. Why, therefore? Remember, what's it, therefore? Is this a corrective? Is this the corrective here? The rich people are going to be destroyed, therefore, my brothers. Be patient until the Lord's coming. All right? The Lord's coming here. This is our our word. Parousia. Second coming, whatever you want to call it. The the Greek word is parousia. All right? Be patient until the Lord's coming. Does anybody have a different word there? Anybody old school, a little old school Bible? Anybody got long suffering? All right. All right. We're all NIV and earlier. All right. It's the Greek word macro thumeo. Macro thumeo. Macro means what? Versus macro micro? Anybody study economics in school? All right. Macro means big, right? Jessica's, going to... Jessica's doing it, right? All right. <laughs> no, I'm almost I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Leave me alone. All right. No, macro. Macroeconomics means big picture. All right. Microeconomics means small. Micro scope. Okay, look at small things. Do we have a macroscope? A telescope? Uh, so macro, thumeo means big, all right? Thumeo is, is the idea of passion. It's the idea of suffering, all right? When, when, it, when the Bible says that God is long-suffering, parents, sometimes we are long-suffering, amen? We put up with a lot before we kill our children and eat them, Okay? We put up with, all, we, we just endure, all right? It, it's this idea of, I'm patient, okay? Some of you wives, you have to be patient with your husbands while they're getting ready to go somewhere, and you just sit in the car, and you just wait, and you're patient. And, and when your husband gets in the car, and he's ready, when everything's right, he's got the, everything going on, then he'll get in the car, right? All right? So you're patient. You are long-suffering, Okay, this is James' word here. It's it's the idea of long-suffering, okay? So be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, what other ways are we supposed to be regarding the Lord's coming? James says be patient. What does Jesus say? Be alert, be ready. We got some parables, right? What are our parables that talk about the, the readiness? Oh my goodness, come on now. The, yeah, the lanterns, the, the ten virgins, okay. They have their, their oil, they're ready. Are they being patient? There, there's some who are patient and some who are just off doing their thing. Again, the idea of being ready, being patient. What are some of the other parables that talk about the, the readiness or the, the Lord's coming? It's right in, you know, we have 24, Matthew 24, he tells what's gonna happen. Matthew 25, he says, now here's some stories so that you understand what you need to be. The talents. The talents is an awesome one. Because it says, be patient. Now, what do you do do when you're being patient? Husbands, what do you do do when you're being patient when your wife is getting ready? (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm long-suffering here. To be patient means you just sit there and don't do anything, right? Is that what happens in the Talents the town says, be ready for your Lord's return. What were they doing? Were they sitting around? No, they were active. Being ready means you're doing what your master wants you to do. And that's to work. That's to be beautiful in this world. That's to be about the Lord's work. So when the Lord comes back, he goes, hey, you're doing what I thought you should be doing. That's being ready. But being patient is different, isn't it? Being patient means you put up with things. Being patient means you endure. And that's a little different than being ready. So so James goes back and says, be patient until the Lord's coming. Now here, he gives an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. All right, now it's, it's an interesting thing in the text and it's just the way he describes the thing. There, there's the early rains, all right? And he says these, this would be the rainy season in late fall, all right? There would be a, this late fall rainy season. And he says then the, the crops would pretty much endure the winter, and then you would get this late rain in the spring. Some people actually translate it. Maybe some of your translations say the fall, the fall rain and the spring rain. Is that what your says? Or maybe you have the notes on there? Yeah. You get this, this spring rain, and you and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And you wait. And what does the farmer do when before those spring rains actually come, what's he thinking? When's it gonna come? When's it gonna come? Is it gonna come? I don't know if it's gonna come. And who gets antsy in this moment? The farmer gets antsy waiting for this rain to come because if you wait too long, what have you done to your crops? You destroyed your crops. So you gotta wait for this late rain. And so James used the example of this, this farmer saying, you know what? I know there's rain coming. I know there's rain coming. I'm going to wait. It comes every year. I know it's going to come. I'm going to wait. And what happens when it's delayed? You ever notice in the parables about Jesus coming back, it always says, and the master was delayed. And he was delayed. And he didn't come back when he, they thought he should come back. Anybody, anybody in here think Jesus should have come back already? Some of you more mature and seasoned people in the room, did you think Jesus was going to come back when you were a teenager? Oh, I remember. I remember thinking the whole time, going, "Oh, okay, it could happen any moment now." Yeah, I remember when the, the all the planets lined up. I think I was in youth group about that time. All the planets lined up. Jesus was coming back. In that. No, no, no. That was a whole different sermon. Right? But no, it, but it. We keep coming along, and we keep thinking. Why is he delayed? Why is he delayed? Why hasn't he come back yet? It always says he's delayed. So James says, be patient. Now there's an ethic in patience, isn't there? Patience is not the absence of ethics. It's not the absence of work. It's not the sitting in the car stewing. All right, that's not not patience, right? Patience has some endurance to it. It has some love to it. It has some joy to it. It has a higher realization that something is coming and I just need to wait. And I don't need to jump the gun. I don't need to run ahead and go, oh, I'll just do it in my way, in my timing, in the way I think it should be done. I will wait on God's way of doing this. You see that Revelation six fifteen moment? It's not something you're going to change. It's not something you're going to may come faster, all right? I know preachers like to say, if we'll just go go share the gospel, it says that when the gospel reaches the ends of the world, that's when Jesus will come back. Really, are we in charge of this? It's God going, man, I wish they would hurry up and get to Djibouti and share the gospel with them in Djibouti and then I could come back. We are not in charge of this, people. And that's not what the text says anyway. Christ is gonna come back when God says, go get him." That's when he's gonna come back. And that moment is coming. The only question is, will you be patient? Will you be long-suffering until that moment? See, the contrast is with the rich. You live amongst these rich. You live amongst these who are unjust. What will you do in a world that is unjust? Will you be patient in that? Will you be long-suffering or will you try and bring about justice in your own way in your own time? No, be patient because there's a Revelation 6.15 moment. God is going to take care of this. You don't need to. Go back to the text. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives early and late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is is near brothers do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged look the judge stands at the door verse 9 anybody got a different translation on brothers do not complain about one another say it say it louder don't grumble against one another okay not bad what else say don't hold a grudge against one another the, the word is, is the idea of to, to groan or to sigh against one another. So, so it's the idea of, oh, they just drive me crazy. All right? I need, to, I need to pour out some judgment on them. I sigh against them. I groan against. Literally, the, the word in there is against It's not next to, it's not about, it's not any of these things. No, it's directed at someone. But look at what James says. Brothers, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged because what happens? The judgment you use against others, what happens to it? It comes back on you, all right? Look, the judge is standing at the door. You see, this is what it looks like to be patient until the Lord's coming. I don't need to exact judgment on people Because what is my trust? What is my reliance? What am I being patient about? Christ is going to come back. When Christ comes back, at that moment, do you still need to make sure you're there to pay back people? Do you still need to have your judge's outfit on with the gavel and condemning people? You... I mean, is God going to take care of this in that Revelation 6.15 moment? Does anybody feel the need in that moment to make sure God does everything right? When the Revelation 6.15 moment hits, you don't need to do anything. So why not just dial that back a little bit and go, you know what? If I won't need to do anything then, why do I feel compelled to do it now? If if I know that my Revelation six fifteen moment or my Matthew twenty four thirty whichever way you want to roll with that all right the moment where I get to go spend eternity with God forever because of what Christ did for me at Calvary if that's my moment I don't need to judge anyone I don't need to try and work my way or wiggle my way out of situations out of affliction because why when that moment hits. I'm going to be in the presence of God for all eternity. What am I so worried about what's going on today? Why am I worried about what this person said about me yesterday? Why am I worried about this bill? All right. Why, why am I so worried about all these things that are stressing me out and bringing me down and causing me all of this, you know, whatever it is, it's caused affliction, whatever you want to call it. Why am I so worried when I know what this Revelation 6.15 moment is going to be? How it's going to change everything. Keep going, look how James portrays this. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you want to be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord, the finished product, it's the teleos, the finish, the completion, the maturity, the end of the story. You've seen the end of the story that comes from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So where where do you find the strength to be patient? Where do you you find the strength to be long-suffering? Maybe the long-suffering of people, that are driving you crazy, that you want to complain against, that you want to judge against, that you see your boss and he's not paying you your bonus like you think you deserve your bonus and he's keeping it and he bought a new, I don't know, island or something, all right? And you're going, that guy, he's going to get, yeah, he is going to get his. So quit worrying about him getting his. You just do what you're here to do. Quit worrying about all the injustice in the world and having to solve it. And Make sure you write that Facebook post. It really nails them. And right, hey, Why? The judge is standing at the door. You don't need to be the judge. You don't need to be the one that levels the playing field. You don't need to be the one that takes everything into your own hands because the judge is standing at the door, so I don't have to be the judge. We tell our kids often, you're not the parent around here. Why? Because they think other, the other one should get punished. They're not the judge. We're usually standing there right around the corner listening to the whole conversation, right? Because that's how you roll as a parent sometimes, right? So what do you have to do? If you know the outcome, if you know this moment is coming, If you know how the story is going to end, what do you need to do? You need to be patient. You need to be long suffering. You need to endure as a good soldier. You need to be the farmer who waits for the late rains, the completing rain. You need to let go. Of the controls of this life, let go of the wheel, back off everything and say, God, I'm not real happy right now. This isn't a whole lot of fun, but I know this, you're coming. And when you show up, nothing's going to matter. When you show up on the scene, when you come in all of your glory and you come and that angel comes and he's got a little card, and he says, Bubba Rainwater, and he scoops me up and goes, takes me home to heaven. I'm not gonna care what anybody said about me on Facebook. I'm not gonna care. It's not going to matter. So can we be patient, knowing the outcome, knowing the end of the story? I mean, look, look at James again one more time. I want you to see this word. In 11, it says, see, we count as blessed those who have endured, that word blessed is the word makarios. It means to be utterly content. We count as utterly content those who have endured. Anyone that endures suffering, that endures pain, that endures hardship, that endures persecution, affliction, whatever else, we count them as blessed. Why? Because they have a perspective on this. They see the outcome. They're patient in this. We see, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and, and have seen the outcome from the Lord. That's the word "telios," the finish, the completion. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. At the end of the day, do you realize that that Revelation 6.15 moment, if it weren't for Christ, it would be a horrific, horrific day for every single one of us. But because he is compassionate, not just compassionate, very compassionate, you, you gotta like that word, right? Because Jesus just isn't just compassionate. He's poly-compassionate, right? He's poly-gracious to us. His mercies are new every morning and they're overwhelming to us. That's why you can trust that the story will end well for you. That's why, in spite of even the most horrific earthly life imaginable, The story ends well for you. I think often of the family. um, I know they go to Westridge. The three-year-old boy gets into dad's backpack, pulls out a gun that's in the backpack. Before anybody knows what's happened, he shoots himself, kills himself. I cannot imagine anything more horrific than enduring that. But I know the outcome of their story. I know their story ends well. I know that no matter how horrific this time is right here, right now, in this, can you imagine the dreams? I can't sleep sometimes after a Little League baseball game because I'm thinking through stuff. Can you imagine what's going through their minds constantly? But I know the outcome of their story. I know how their story will end. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And the afflictions will be eclipsed by glory. Because Jesus' little brother told me they would. I wonder how many times Jesus told his little brother, it's going to be okay. I'm coming back. So I think James walks around with his confidence. My big brother said he's coming back. My big brother said he's coming back. And he said he's going to make everything right. And everything will be put right because he's compassionate. Very compassionate. And he's very merciful. And he said, just be patient, little brother. I'm coming back. James believed his big brother. Now, will we? You know what they did with James? They told him, he can't. They told him, quit preaching this Jesus stuff. He said, no. My big brother said he's coming back. I ain't gonna stop. So they took him to the highest point in the temple and they threw him off. And then when he didn't die, they came down and grabbed rocks and they bashed his skull in until he was dead. But you know what he was thinking when he died? It's okay. Because my big brother told me he's coming back. Suffer long, people. Suffer well. In the end, it's going to be okay. Because big brother's coming back. Let's pray.